Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with the information you need to make smart decisions, both before, during, and after your divorce. And we're going to be talking about just that today. Mia Poppy is our special guest, and she has experience on both sides of divorce, both as a mom of five experiencing divorce twice, and also as a matrimonial attorney with her own private practice. But she wasn't always a matrimonial attorney. It took being wiped out by her first husband and her returning to law school at 41 to relaunch her career into this field. Clawing her way forward and picking herself up after having to use public assistance and food stamps to get back on her feet, she found herself at a corner. And that corner was to wallow in self-pity or move forward and create the life she wanted for her and her children. And with that she started her own business. And today you'll hear how with her girl power, with her hype friends, that she's been able to create that business and the business tips that she gives to other women about why having your own business is a smart decision because no one will ever value you like you. She also shares tips about how it's important for us as women to manage our money, our own money, and to have goals and accountability partners where we tell our accountability partner what our goal of salary this year will be and then hold each other accountable. And don't forget to wait to the end because at the end, you're going to be learning about how the key to success in a divorce is facing your financial fears head on and how even she was racked with some of this fear despite her profession, especially during her second divorce. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy this amazing conversation with Mia Poppy. So Mia, thank you for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. You're one of the like bright shining lights in my life. You just always have a smile and a wonderful energy about you. And I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit today and just hear more about your background, how you came to where you are and hear all of it. Well, Stacey, I'm thrilled to be here and I'm thrilled to have some meaningful exchange with you. And I'm going to try hard to avoid the love fest because so much (laughs) of what you do professionally for women, for families, for couples, so much of what you do financially is stuff that adds so much value for generations to come that you know, I could just love on what you yeah. do and the profession that you've taken on. So I'm thrilled to be here. You're a matrimonial attorney and 
Is this something that you knew from a little girl that you, you wanted to grow up to be a divorce attorney? I assume not. I mean, not many little girls really. Right now, my daughter wants to open a baking shop called Apple Bakery, which I said, you know, you might need to branch out other than just having apple cupcakes. We're working on it, but diversification, diversification, we're we're, we're working on it. But how did you decide to go into this field? Was it, you know, all of a sudden or been thinking about it? Well, you know, I like to say, Stacey, that the practice of matrimonial law found me. So one thing that I knew as a very young girl, I have definite memories of being in the third grade and knowing that I wanted to be a psychologist. I knew I wanted to listen to people and I wanted to help them come up with solutions for their problems. So I was very, very fascinated with the study of psychology. I have very early memories of being in fourth grade and reading a book about neurosis and neurotic behavior. Oh my gosh. So these stars have aligned themselves over my lives for many years. And so right out of college, City recruited me and I went into banking where I had, where I enjoyed a wonderful career as a senior level banker for 22 years. And that was Citibank then? That was Citibank then. And from Citibank, I went to GE Capital. And from GE Capital, I went to Bank of America, where the first nationwide end-to-end bank was being formed via the merger of Nations Bank and Bank of America. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed a wonderful career in finance for 22 years. But during that time, Stacy, whenever a friend was going through a divorce, Mm -hmm. People would say, Mia, what do you think about so-and-so or such and such? And how does this sound to you? And so these were friends that, of course, had lawyers. They had representation. They had the perception that I had common sense intuition about divorce. I, of course, at the time didn't know that the stars would bring me here. But nonetheless, I have a very long history of people asking me divorce questions long before I even went to law school, which I did at the ripe young age of 42. That's amazing. So you went back to school at 42. How did you get there? Because I know that you have dealt with a few tough times. I think that's an understatement as well in your life. So Stacy, first of all, thank you for opening up the dialogue about my own personal life journeys because I staunchly believe that we get through our life journeys more when we can talk about them and Mm -hmm. articulate them. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like I believe talking about and articulating about your money and your money fears also helps you get to the next place. So I'm a Southerner. I'm from South Carolina and all good Southern girls get married young. And so you were one of them too? I was one of those Southern Bells. I graduated from college in May and got married in June at the ripe young age of 22. I can't even imagine like getting through finals, let alone getting married right after. I know. Wow. Wow. And so that's what I did. I got married. And soon after I was married, I began having children. I was married at 21 and gave birth to my first child at 23. I was a career woman, Mm -hmm. so I worked in banking. So I 
kind of had what we call the best of both worlds. I was raising children, and at the same time, I was navigating a career as a young manager. So I was married for 12 years, Stacy, and had the typical American dream. We were young homeowners. We owned two cars, a house, backyard, two dogs, all of this. And my marriage, 12 years into it, failed. It failed suddenly and it failed badly as most marriages when they fail do. Mm-hmm. There is a, a saying that you don't know who you married until you divorce them. We say that in my profession and mm-hmm. unfortunately that's true. But nonetheless, I found myself as a young divorcee. At this point, I'm about 32. Stacy, I had kids. three sons. I had three sons who were in private school. I had a full-time live-in nanny. I had a mortgage. I had car notes and things failed miserably. My first ex-husband, when he left, he left and wiped us out. Any money that we had in the bank, he took with him. I was in the dark about the fact that I was broke for maybe three or four weeks because immediately after the separation, Stacy, it never occurred to me to check the money. It never occurred to me immediately. So I found myself, Stacy, as a professional woman, senior level. At this point, I was with GE Capital with this family overhead and no money at all. And, you know, my life has been such a journey in that immediate moment, because when I say I had no money, I had no money. and no grocery money. No No, grocery money. No. Professional woman, GE Capital, leading people, and I had no grocery money. And in that moment, I sought out public assistance to get grocery money. And, you know, the universe has been very kind to me because when I went in, the social worker that I spoke with said, you know, Miss Shaw, you are exactly the kind of people that the system wants to help, mm-hmm. right? Many, many years later, Stacy, in my practice of law, I, I had a client approximately 18 months ago living in a $12 million penthouse here in lower Manhattan, everything, children, mm-hmm. nannies, housekeepers, custom furniture that they had to have a crane put in through the window and get a permit from the city, the whole nine yards. And she was a client, but when her marriage failed, it also failed poorly. And she, like I many years before had been blindsided, went to Whole Foods to Mm -hmm. buy groceries. I shop at that Whole Foods. You know. That is my Whole Foods. To buy groceries to take back to her $12 million penthouse and her debit card didn't go through. So I share my story in this client's story to just reiterate how life can be very unpredictable and not having money puts you in an unduly vulnerable situation. Yeah. Unduly vulnerable. And so this is why it's very important for not just women, all people, yeah. right, to really keep their eye on their money 
and really manage despite the household setup, whether or not you're the bread earner, whether or not you're the stay-at-home parent. We all owe it to ourselves and to our children and to our communities that we live in to be financially responsible. And Stacy, I say we owe it to our communities because if the bottom falls out, it's frequently our communities. Mm-hmm. I needed public assistance for three months, the community, right? So we owe it to our communities, whether you're going to a church, a food pantry, regardless, we owe it not only to ourselves and our children, we owe it to our communities Mm -hmm. because we need to position ourselves at all times to be givers into the public trust, not takers. And I've had to take from the public trust. So there's no shame in that. I'm just espousing a higher calling that we need to be givers into the public trust. And we need to not be deceived by our own optics. So I had the optics that I was a professional, young professional manager. I had all the optics, the nanny, private school. It looks like it's perfect. It looked like it was perfect. But yet I had to go into a public assistance office, right? My client who I refer to, it doesn't get much better than that. $12 million penthouse. Yeah. Those optics were there, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just our fellow sisters and brothers that are in third world countries. It's here. Yeah. It's yeah. here. So here you are. You've got three boys. You're working your butt off at work at GE. Your husband has just left and essentially wiped out all of the accounts. How do you then move on, right? Number one, how do you find the courage to go back to school on top of it and try and make everything look normal, right, for the kids? I can't even get my head around that. Well, you know, obviously it was tough, but I I must say as tough as it was, and of course I spent nights with my face in the pillow crying so that my children couldn't see me crying or hear me crying. But Stacy, as so many old adages go, when we are put in tough situations and we have to pull deep from within. So when you say how to, I have a three-part answer. And my three-part answer was is number one, faith. And even in my practice of law as a matrimonial attorney, you know, when my clients come in, I talk faith to them. You got to lock into something bigger than yourself, right? You have to embrace that support, whatever spiritual practice, whatever that looks like for you. You got to That's meditation, if that's going to church, if that's whatever, hikes. Yeah, it's... You got to lock in. You have got to lock in to something bigger than yourself. And I call it faith. You know, you can call it belief system. I love that TM transcendental meditation is so big today because what do you do when you meditate? We meditate on something bigger than ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we get our mind off of the fear and we get our mind on the possibilities, right? So something bigger than yourself. That's number one for me was faith. 
The second thing is, Stacey, and I'll give myself a shameless plug. I'm in the process of writing a book called Hashtag Girl Power. And I love that name. I love that name. We love it. I love it too. But one of the things that I talk about in the book is get yourself some hype queens. So So tell me about hype queens. I want want some hype queens. We got to have hype queens. (laughs) So this is my second thing of how I did it. So I had friends around me, hype queens. And so when you're feeling at your worst, your hype queens are going to be saying, Stacey, you can do it. I've seen you do it before. Mm-hmm. Stacy, mm-hmm. look at your two beautiful kids. Lock into them. You can't lock yeah. into, you know, our hype your, queens. Your cheerleaders, right? Our cheerleaders. And so it's so fundamental because sometimes what happens in the journey to lie and during life is we get separated and segregated from the yeah. support system. We mm-hmm. get isolated. Yeah. Which is a dangerous position to be. So, I mean, for all of the listeners out there, hype queens, cheerleaders, like you need people in your ear telling you, you can do this. You got this. Keep moving. Get out of bed. Put one foot in front of the other. You got to keep the momentum running. So hype queens. So faith, hype queens. And then during my first divorce, The third thing that I had was I had work ethic. You are one of the hardest workers. You really are. And I mean, I would just love to hear because, I mean, you've built an unbelievably successful practice from nothing. From nothing. Really from, and you didn't walk in with a trust fund to start it up either. So I think that's phenomenal. I mean, you are like the poster child of like, work ethic. And if you put your nose to the grindstone, you keep on working, you will make it happen. And now you're a business owner. I am so proud to be a business owner. And especially in the day and time that we live, because Stacey, I'm sure you agree with me that no one is going to value us the way we value us. Yeah. Right. And no one is going to give us a blank check to write our own salary, but we'll give ourselves a blank check. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll we'll look in the mirror and we'll say, girl, if you're willing to work for it, write your blank check. Mm -hmm, The -hmm. sky's the limit, Mm -hmm. right? You want a boat? Go out there and do it, girlfriend, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever you want. So I just believe like when women are transitioning, that We have to understand, listen, I value me. Mm -hmm. And if a particular organization or organizations don't value me like I value me, listen, it's not shame on them. No harm, no foul, right? Mm -hmm. That may be the door. That may be the closed door that we need to pull into the value that's within. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we can start our own businesses. and. I encourage that. Even if you work for a great organization and you're happy, like Stacy, the older I get, the more I believe in having the side hustle. Can I use that term side yeah. hustle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of having your own thing. Having your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can have, for you and I, we spend our lives and our waking hours in our business, but there are many people where 
you can do that side hustle on the side. And it's something that's going to be there and it's going to help you have more options, more financial freedom, and potentially career options down the line. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What I love about being a business owner is that I feel truly that the only limits I have are the ones that I put on myself. And as a woman, I know that I did struggle. That blank check that we could write to ourselves, the amount that I wrote to myself of what I thought I was worth was pitiful. And for me, owning a business has been one of the biggest growth opportunities for me to learn how to love myself and to value myself and care for myself in the way that I care about the people in my life, right? It's been such a good journey for me, hard, but such a good journey. And I know that where I'm at now, I have never felt more confident. I don't want to say in control because we know we don't have control, but just that feeling of, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And being a business owner is so powerful. And women, we tend to start businesses much more frequently than men. And the only challenge, we face several challenges, but the one challenge we have that is most significant is that men versus women, we have much less access to outside funding and capital. So it just means that we might have to bootstrap it a little bit longer. We might have to save up a little bit longer because the dollars out there, particularly for women, are just very, very few and far between. So it definitely is possible. Look at the two of us, but typically women business owners, we have a few more hurdles that we have to jump over. Things are not quite equal. They're not. And you know, Stacey, you bring up a great point because when I began my law firm 10 and a half years ago in Midtown Manhattan, you mentioned funds frequently are not there for women. Well, they were so not there that it never occurred to me, Stacey, that any bank, any lender would give me money to start my firm. It never occurred to me. I had a law license, a law degree, and it never occurred to me that that was capital for me, Mm -hmm. that based on that and based on my future earnings ability, that that could get me money because I didn't hear anybody say that. And so I bootstrapped it. I had learned the concept as a banker of certain initiatives being self-funding. So I said, my firm is going to have to be Mm self-funding. So I had to be savvy, Mm -hmm. right? I love it. A word that's near to your heart. I had to be savvy and I had to be self-funding. And Stacey, I wouldn't have it any other way looking back, Mm -hmm. hindsight. Now, was it fun? No. It was a lot of work, I'm sure. It was a lot of work. Yeah. But I wouldn't have it any other way because the eye teeth that we cut when we are stretching and reaching for the stars. Yeah. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And you come out of it draped in confidence, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is the coat that we should all be wearing. 
Yeah. So you are now celebrating over a decade in your firm. What advice would you have to women who want to start a firm and maybe they're starting over just like you were of how to make it happen? You know, I think about that often. And so in starting my firm, Stacey, in starting my business, the only one regret, and, and regret is not the on-spot term, but it's the only term I can I can can come up with. But the the one regret, the one thing that I wish I would have had is not money. I wish I would have had another female to start the business with me. Mm-hmm. Because when you start a business alone, I mean you're everything. Yeah. You're the CEO, you're the CFO, you're the CTO, yeah. you're the janitor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And as I get older, of course, I more and more adopt the saying that I believe to be true, work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And I do believe in collaboration Mm -hmm. and I do believe in synergies. And so if I could roll back the hands of time and if I could find a businesswoman with, you know, like desire and like hunger Mm -hmm. and like integrity, I would want a partner from the inception. So my advice to women starting businesses, if at all possible, start a business with somebody collaboratively, just because there are more ideas, there are more synergies. You know, when people go to do fundraising, one person doesn't do fundraising, they get a committee and they have 12 people reaching out to all of their respective branches, right? So if at all possible, get a partner. If not possible, I would tell everybody, formulize your plan. What is it that you want? What's going to be your product? What's going to be your service? And what is your end game? Like, what do you really desire to do? Mm -hmm. Right. And not only just talk that talk, begin doing your homework and write it down and do research, really act like it's a real Fortune 500 business. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a real Fortune 500 business, there is a paper trail. Yep. There are planning documents. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up. There's so many pieces where running a Fortune 500 company, you would never let someone work for free, right? And so even if you can't quite pay yourself tracking how much time you're spending, what your market value would be out there. Also making sure that you're tracking the finances of the business separately from your personal finances. And I know you're nodding your head because I'm sure you see this in some of your divorce cases where someone comes in and the business and the personal finances, they're just co-mingled together so much. So it's like spaghetti and trying to get each strand out when they're all bundled in a big ball of yarn together. Can you talk a little bit about that, of why it's important, you know, have the Chinese wall of separate finances, separate finances for your business and separate finances for your personal? Yeah. So when you eloquently describe it as this big ball of yarn, 
the professional word that I would use is this big mess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it breeds a mess. Yeah. When finances are commingled, business finances, personal finances, and it's hard to tell where you've paid yourself, where you've not paid yourself. Everything is just muddy together. And if you come into a divorce in that situation, and many people do, right? It's Mm -hmm. not as uncommon as you might think. There's going to be a bad reward for that. You're going to lose out, Yeah. right? You're going to lose out. Valuations are going to be difficult. Determining what salaries were are going to be difficult. Like it's going to be a really bad situation. And more times than not, if the finances have been commingled in that way, somebody is going to lose. Yeah. You just are. Yeah. I mean, I'm right now in the room, I'm just seeing dollar signs floating around us. And that's dollar signs for not walking away with a lot of money. That's dollar signs for that just made your divorce phenomenally expensive. Phenomenally. Phenomenally expensive. It's, but Stacey, one thing I want to highlight, and I tell my clients this, is that in the realm of divorce, losing means a lot of things. And all of the things that losing means are not all bad. Because if I lose maybe money because it was poorly managed because it was commingled, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully I can quickly turn the corner and mm-hmm. get on to a new life. Because remember, we're telling our listeners, you are valuable. Recognize your own value, yeah. right? And our value is not just intrinsic in us today. That value spills over into the future. So the more we wallow in the past, the more we do a post-mortem. Post-mortem means we are examining something that's dead, Stacey, right? We are leaving that value, our value, languishing out in the future where it will diminish. You know, it's like the muscles. You got to use them or you lose them. But I know that so many women, their biggest fear about the divorce other than making sure that their kids are okay if they have um, if they have any children, it's the money thing, and it's the am I going to have enough? Am I going to be able to manage it? Am I going to make stupid mistakes? Am I going to lose it? And I've heard from numerous women, and it it's interesting. I've heard this from women who have very little in assets to women who have, you know seven, eight figures after their name, worried about being in a cardboard box. We have these fears. Did you ever feel that? And how did you get over it? And do some of your clients have those some fears too? And how do you work around that? Oh my gosh. So Stacy, that's an incredible question because in my line of work, and I represent both men and women, and there is a clear distinction. Women, and regardless of how much money they have or will have, I mean, they can end up and leave a divorce and have tens and tens of millions. And women still have that fear of survival. 
Yeah. Like there yeah. is a true survival fear. How will I make it? How will I live? Like they have, they being women have genuine fears of being turned out of doors. And that cuts across all economic spectrums. Stacy, interestingly, on the other hand, my male clients don't have the fear of survival. They more likely have or express an anger at their pending change in lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's the dynamic that men are dealing with and that women are dealing with. Those dynamics are very different. And I want to say, like, it's very real because on my second divorce, so it, during my second divorce was the course of me having started this law firm. I have a very successful business. I have money. I have an apartment. I have a second home. Like, I have stuff that a business person yeah. would have. And you have two really adorable girls. <laughs> Until you have the three boys and now two adorable girls. Yes, I'm the proud mother of five children, which thrills me. But Stacy, even me, like for a minute when I was hearing the taunts of, from the air or the taunts from my ex-spouse, like, you know, that yeah. injects that fear in you, like, oh my God, I'm going to lose everything. I won't have any money. And so one of the aha moments that I've recently had, Stacy, recently, is money is a big thing, especially when people are divorcing, right? Yeah. It's a huge thing. And so during the course of my second divorce, actually after my second divorce, I'm going back and forth because my ex-husband is refusing to pay private school tuition for my beautiful children. And you have been big, going to private yeah, school. It was an incredible thing. And so at some point, my lawyer was advocating, oh, she's not going to pay, you know, 100% of tuition. He has to pay X percent. And it dawned on me. And I said to my lawyer, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, because my time is valuable. And I said, these two children, these aren't strangers. These aren't children on the street. These are my children. I'm happy to finance them. Go back, tell the ex-husband, tell his lawyer. Mia says she's happy to finance Hannah and Noah. And in saying that, I'm happy to finance them. I'm happy to finance their future. Like, I'm not a fear girl, but this incredible thing lifted off of me. And I'm not afraid of the tuition bill anymore. I was really, Stacy, feeling like a bondage come on me as I'm going back and forth about who's paying for what. And so what we like to tell women is, listen, finance yourself. If you need to retool, Go to back make, to college. To make that happen, do Make it. it happen. Pay to retool yourself, right? And I'll add to that. Listen, time is a valuable commodity and nobody should leave a divorce, be stolen from, be cheated. So that's not what I'm saying. And no. I want to be very clear about that. But just like I'm telling women, don't be afraid to pay to retool yourself, to re-equip yourself. Don't be afraid. I'll pay for my kids. Mm-hmm. Right. If push comes to shove, they're not going to do without education. They're yeah. not going to do without food because there's some greatness in me. Up until now, I haven't been forced to tap into that. Yeah. But I've heard about it. Yeah. I've read about it. Yeah. I believe it's there. 
right? So there was an incredible amount of freedom when I said, no, 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 these aren't strangers. I'll pay for that because, you know, we say you got to pay to be the boss, right? You want to be the boss, you have to pay the cost. And all of a sudden, you know, these things made sense to me. And I want to just divert a little bit in terms of how I came to this mindset journey. Many, many years ago, Stacey, and it was, I believe, in 2005, my oldest son had graduated from high school. And as his graduation present, I took him to Europe, where we spent many weeks in Europe. And while in Europe, I enrolled in a class at a graduate school. And one of the assigned readings was a book by a famous economist, Hernando de Soto. The name of the book is The Mystery of Capital. Mm -hmm. And what his premise, he's an economist, worldwide he's known. He says, all over the world, Stacy, there is money in every cupboard. The problem or the challenge is conversion. We are challenged with how to convert the money that is in our cupboards into capital. Because capital is something you can leverage. Money, Stacy, comes and goes. It has wings. Mm-hmm. But capital, you can leverage capital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's the mystery of capital is we have resources in the cupboards, mm-hmm. but how do we convert those? So mm-hmm. it's a conversion issue. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to tap in to a professional like yourself to say, okay, Stacy, here's my papers. Let's analyze my cupboard. Let's see what's in there. Let's see what's in this cupboard. And let's see how this cupboard is going to buy me freedom tomorrow. It's going to buy me into my dream tomorrow. It's going to buy me into my business tomorrow. Right. And so which takes me into one of the things that I've used as a mature woman who recently divorced two years ago. And so now I don't talk so much about work ethic, which I have incredible work ethic. I talk about now accountability because now I'm comfortable talking about money and I have accountability partners, people like yourself that you can talk about money with. Another female colleague who is in the matrimonial business like I am, she's a matrimonial lawyer. The other day, she said to me, so Mia, how much money are you going to make this year? How is business? Like she asked me a point blank money question. Accountability. It is. And you know what? Now you're going to think about it and you're going (sighs) to say that number and be damned we're going to hit it, right? I mean, it's Right. Right. And I just so love that you're able to voice that this cupboard that you have, whatever those assets are, how we convert them to the freedom. How do we convert them to the life you want to live? How do you convert them to your new career, your business? How do you convert them? Because that is what money is. Money, it's really only a piece of paper, right? And you can, bless, you can burn it. Although I would have a heart attack if I saw a dollar, even a dollar burning. I'm having heart palpitations even thinking about it. But money is so simple, but it is 
one of the most important tools. It is a tool just like you go to a construction site with all the tools in your toolbox that you need to build. Money is a tool that you need to build for your life. And it's not that it's that materialistic need a Porsche, you know, need a fancy jewelry. Although I'm going to be honest, I love shoes. I'm just saying I love shoes. And me and I have a true love of dresses. We have very good taste. We We both agree. But it's about those options. It's about those options. And even being able to take risks, right? If you have money to fall back on, you feel more comfortable taking a risk. Just like I took trapeze last summer. Oh my God. And I went up there and the only reason why I jumped onto that trapeze and went across was there was a really good net underneath. And trust me, I checked that net. (laughs) There is no way that I would not have done that without that wonderful net. And essentially money is our net that allows us those options, those opportunities. We have gone through so much. Any parting words? And actually, also, I'd love for you to share a little bit more because I know our listeners are thinking of where is she and who is Mia? And you can go online and see a picture as well. Um, Any parting words and also how our listeners of Financially Ever After can reach out to you? Yeah. So, you know, my name is Mia Poppy and I'm a matrimonial attorney here in Midtown Manhattan and I can be found online. So you can just Google my name, Mia, M-I-A, Poppy. And financially ever after, Stacy, this is when I'm doing divorces, right? We resolve children and I always push parties to resolve custody first. Mm-hmm. And Tell me about that oh, because there's a reasoning behind it. I know, right? There is a reasoning. So I tell my clients, I am what I am. I'm a mother of five and you cannot pay me. You cannot retain me to help you cannibalize your own children. Yeah. Period. Mm -hmm. Right. That will not happen in my firm. And so I always push my client and my adversary opposing counsel. Let's resolve custody and parenting time. Mm-hmm. Because Stacy, the most well-intentioned parents, if custody is open and finance is open, they start selling the children. I hate to say it, mm-hmm. selling time with the children, selling decision making mm-hmm. with the children. Mm-hmm. Right? Best, most well-intentioned parents, and I think this happens. This is a term, and, and maybe I'll formally coin it and trademark it, but I use this term that's called divorce psychosis. And I say divorce psychosis should actually even be in the DMM-5. And what divorce psychosis means, Stacy, is that when people are going through a divorce, I don't mean this in any jest, but frequently people literally lose their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can have the best parents, parents that are sacrificial to their children and would only do the best for their children. And those same parents, given a divorce situation, will barter time with their children or lack thereof for money. Mm -hmm. So in my practice, and if you're looking for a lawyer that's going to keep you honest with your children, 
I would be that lawyer for you Mm -hmm. because we will not barter children and their future for money. So first step one, I always want to resolve parenting and custody via a fully executed parenting plan Mm -hmm. where everybody signed off. Children are resolved. After children are resolved and off the table, now let's talk about money. Money. Let's talk about money completely apart from discussing your children. Let's keep all of these good parents good, Mm -hmm. right? And also when their children are off the table, right? So I'm a matrimonial lawyer. I get paid hourly. And the reality of my business, Stacey, is if lawyers can co-mingle children with money, you have a client who's in a very emotional state. They're going to spend, 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 spend that money. They don't care what it costs because they're saying, my kids, my kids, my kids. And it's not really about their kids, right? It's about that almighty dollar. But they're so emotionally vested. And when you're emotionally vested like that, believe me, your financial decisions are all bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your financial decisions are all bad. So resolve custody. And then let's just sit down with pen, paper, and maybe some documents from a divorce financial planner. And let's make some business decisions to resolve equitable distribution. Mm -hmm. And let's make some business decisions to resolve maintenance. Mm -hmm. And let's make some business decisions to resolve council fees. Let's make business decisions. Let's sit at the table and let's do business. It's all math. It's not calculus. It's addition and subtraction. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. A little bit of net present value because you got to carry it out into the future. But let's just do business. Let's get this divorce done. And this is what I tell my clients. Let's move on and let's truly try to find happily ever after. Thank you so much for being here, Mia, that I couldn't end this any better than you just did. And I just truly want to say thank you for showing up real and being you and being honest about everything you've gone through, but even more important, tackling this and talking about it. And I love that you're writing a book and I'll make sure that also in the resource section. So all of you listening today, will put in the resource section, a link to Mia's website, as well as some of the resources that Mia talked about. And I have to say the biggest piece that I am walking away with is that I will never look at a cupboard in the same way. Normally, I have like Skittles hidden when I think about cupboards and I think about like great things in there. The kids don't know this, but Skittles and Swedish fish are my like two favorite things. And I will not share. I will not share. So I wait till the children go to bed. If I can stay up that late, sometimes I can't stay up past nine because I'm so tired. And then I go in and I sneak in and I find my Skittles and I find my Swedish fish. Now I'm looking for my money. Now I'm looking for my money in that cupboard. But thank you for being here, hon. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. It's been wonderful. And thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After. That was such an unbelievably powerful conversation. Mia shared with us her own fears, her own challenges, and how she's overcome them to be in the place where she is right now. 
Something that she honed in very clearly about was knowing your worth and understanding your finances. We would love to help you with that. Please reach out for our free second opinion about where you are financially. We can look at every single piece of where your money is and how it's working together or maybe not working together, whether it's putting you on track to reach those goals or whether it's not doing enough. So please reach out to us at Stacy at FrancisFinancial.com or www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you again for listening in and we'll see you in two weeks.